what I learned was until you get in front of a judge and a jury, you don't know where that's going to go. So you can't go off what an attorney, what their opinion is. You got to kind of read into it and understand how law and how that kind of thing works. And when you go to trial on something, there's a judge that can sway a jury in terms of the way he explains the law and the instructions. And then there's the jury. So you just never know how things are going to go. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to That Really Happened. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deal. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us. Me and my team, we've been working really hard on this show and we would really appreciate it. You can also go to my website, ellieperlman.com and listen to the episodes and also read the show notes. So today I'm hosting Greg Dickerson. So Greg is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, and a developer. And over the past 20 years, he has bought, developed, and sold over 200 million in real estate. He built and remodeled hundreds of custom homes and commercial buildings. And he started 12 different companies from the grounds up. That's pretty impressive. So Greg has spoken at mastermind events around the country, and he's been a commentator on Fox Business and the Dave Ramsey Show, and is regularly interviewed on some of the top real estate investing and business podcasts today. So I'm really, really excited to have him today. And so today... He's going to tell us the story about an oceanfront hotel redevelopment deal that changed course and resulted in a $450,000 flip with zero cash out of pocket. So I'm really excited to hear that story. Hey, Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Ellie. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So where are you broadcasting from? So I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia on the East Coast, and it is 225 where I'm at. Ah, very nice. Very nice. How long have you been there? So I've been in Charlottesville since 2011, 2012 uh, timeframe. And prior to that, I was on the Outer Banks of North Carolina for 14 years from 97 till 2011 when I moved here. And, and as I told you earlier, I've lived a good portion of my life in California. I went in the Navy mm -hmm. right out of high school. So I was stationed in Long Beach, but I lived in Huntington Beach. And then when I was a kid, my dad was in the Navy and he was stationed first in San Francisco. Then we were stationed in San Diego, and then we moved to Pensacola, Florida, and then back to Virginia. So I'm a military brat. I've, I've lived all over, been all over. Wow, that's very impressive. How did you make the jump or the, the shift military to real estate? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I, nobody in my family were entrepreneurs. They were all either career military or, you know, my mom worked for Blue Cross Blue Shield for 30 years. But I was just natural born entrepreneur. You know, when I was a kid, I'd go around knocking on doors, cutting grass, raking leaves, you know, whatever needed to be done. Literally, if I walked past your house and the grass was tall, I would knock on your door and say, hey, I'll cut your grass for 20 bucks. And, <laughs> you know, if it's 90 degrees outside, you're going to say yes, more than likely. Right. And, uh, 
you know, especially a kid, I mean, I'm 10, 11 years old when I'm doing this, 12 years old, right? This was elementary school in the middle school when I was doing this. And I would, you know, I'd wash your car, you know, whatever you needed. I mean, I literally, I would knock on your door. I would say, my name is Greg Dickerson. I live down the street. I need to make some money. Is there anything I can do for you to earn some money? That's literally what I would do. And uh, so I'm just wired that way. And I still have no problem cold calling today and knocking on doors and talking to people. I just, you know, it's just the way I'm wired. So I started at a young age with that. I uh, went to high school and uh, instead of going to college, I went in the Navy right out of high school. Kind of every male in my family were all military and they were all career. I didn't want to make a career of it, but I did want to serve my country. Uh, so I did that. And then when I got out, you know, the only two things I'd ever done in my life were restaurants and construction. And I always worked in restaurants at night and construction during the day. And that's how I got started in the business. I was working in a restaurant and um, there was a guy doing an addition on a restaurant I was working in. He, he offered to pay me to clean up after him. So I did, and I'm a hard worker, and he took a liking to me, and I just followed him around and started learning from him and cleaning up and doing, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and, and you know, uh, generated a little bit of a skill set in construction. So then I always kind of had my own little side business during the day while I was working construction at night, but I always wanted my own real company. And then in uh, 1997, I moved to the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and I moved there to open a restaurant, and I ended up doing that for the first season. And then after that, I started a little remodeling handyman company did 250,000 my first year in sales. Uh, seven years later, we were, we were doing $30 million. We were one of the largest builder developers there. And I started 12 other businesses, you know, all construction related, except one company uh, along the way. I did have some restaurants too, you know, while I was there. So all that to say adult ADD, right? That's probably a good way uh, <laughs> to describe it. I like to stay busy. I like to do things, but I'm a, I'm a leader. I'm a delegator. I know how to leverage and outsource. And I know how to multitask and I'm very good at it. And um, a lot of the restaurant background and training, I think, you know, made me very good at that. And I learned how to run a business and how to lead and how to manage people uh, in the restaurant industry. And I just kind of parlayed that experience into the construction industry. And then I learned how to, you know, flip and develop and do those things and build spec houses. And I just, I learned it all, you know, the hard way from the ground up. I had no real mentors. Um, I had some developers that I hung around that I did deals with that I kind of learned from and you know, they would kind of help me along the way, but nobody like in an official daily mentorship kind of capacity. Uh, very self-educated, didn't go to college, but I read everything. I pour into myself constantly. I've never had one song on my iPhone. Uh, before that, it was an iPod. Before that, it was, you know, CDs and then, you know, cassette tapes. And it was always business, personal, professional development. So that's, that's how I learned and how I grew and how I educated myself. Let's kind of dive into the story. And I think, by the way, that your background is phenomenal. It's very diverse. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm running one company and it's not easy. I don't know how you do it with 12 companies, right? It's, uh, I mean, you got to have the stomach for it. You got to have a certain, you know, mindset and, and stamina to do it because 12 companies, that's not easy. No, it's not. And I would find a great operator like you, somebody who had drive and usually they would come to me. And they would say, you know, they're either in business and they were struggling and they wanted to grow and scale. And usually it's somebody that has a very good trade, like a plumber, right? So I had a plumbing company, very good plumber, good at what he did, but no good at business. Mm -hmm. So I'd take him under my wing. Um, that case, I bought the company, paid off all his debts. Uh, he was in financial trouble. So I paid off all his debts. And then instantly I went and bought six trucks and took him from two trucks to eight overnight. Uh, helped him hire the employees, put an office manager in place and systems. And then I coached him and tur turned him into a leader and taught him how to run a company. 
So that's just kind of how I operate. I find good operators, people that are, you know, already doing well in a career that want to start their own business um, or somebody who already has their own business, but just doesn't know how to grow, doesn't know how to become a leader, doesn't know how to scale. And then I just come alongside them and I coach them and, and mm -hmm. I, I mentor them and help them put systems in place and, and just scale what they're doing. You're like a private money. You're like a PE shop for, for small businesses. Yeah, yeah, it's private equity and it's it's kind of like a Marcus Lemonis, you know, the profit, mm -hmm. you know, kind of meets, I don't know, whatever, but, uh, you know, The <laughs> Beat, that's another show, you know, that, that was on CNBC with uh, Sidney Torres, where he comes into real estate deals gone bad and kind of bails them out. So I guess it's the profit meets the deed is what I was kind of mm -hmm. trying to say. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right, great. So Greg, let's, let's start with our story today. Okay. Tell me where, what year we are, where in... Where in the U.S. you're located? What is the deal that you're doing? So I'm on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and this is 0405. I sold my first company that I built into $30 million, you know, sold a bunch of real estate. I saw, you know, a little something coming in the economy that, that just wasn't right. That was the peak of our market. Most countries or most states in the country were peaking 0405 uh, first before the big crash. And so I sold everything and I took a little step back and started doing some development deals and started playing with some restaurants. So I backed some guys in a restaurant lost a bunch of money. So I said, I'm not doing that anymore. And I went back and started doing real estate and construction. So 2004, 2005, this, that we had a bad hurricane down in the Outer Banks that tore up a bunch of oceanfront property. And one of the things I would do is I would buy oceanfront hotels, tear them down and build these giant beach houses, right? That they're like apartment buildings. I mean, they do two, three, $400,000 a year in rent for a you know, $2 million property. So they're really, really good assets. So Anyways, uh, this, this guy had come to me that had a hotel that was damaged by the hurricane. He said, hey, I want to convert this into condos and sell them, and we're going to make all this money. And I, I researched it and looked at it, and I said, you can't do it. The Coastal Area Management Association that regulates oceanfront development, the rules and regulations, the property is just too small. It's not going to work. The best thing to do is tear it down and build houses. That's the highest and best use of the property. Well, he found somebody who talked him into going down that road, and you know, he said, well, you know, I'm going to go do this. And uh, I never heard from him again. And they tried to make that project work over a two, three year period. So fast forward now, we're into 2007, 2008. I just come off this restaurant venture. I had, you know, two or three of them open, had a bunch of guys I was backing. And, you know, they just stole from me and, and I ended up parting ways, lost a bunch of money. And I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of messing with that. And I go back and I reopen a construction company on the beach again and start doing what I had done before. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this guy walks in my office, just out of nowhere. Didn't get a phone call from him, nothing. Walks in my office, he says, I've been working on this oceanfront project for three years since we met. Now, this is 2008, probably, 2007. He said, I'm ready to do your deal now. He said, we can't do the condos, you were right. Let's go ahead and do your deal. And uh, I said, okay. So he owned the, owned the property, and it was an oceanfront parcel that had like four lots, and there was a semi-oceanfront parcel across the street that had two lots. And the deal was he was going to throw in the land. There was a small debt, I don't know, a million dollars needed to be paid off or something like that. And then I was going to bring the money to build. I was going to build all the houses and we we're going to sell them, pay off his lien, pay off the construction costs, and we split the profit, right? So real simple deal. So we start going into that and start planning the process. And along the way, I had to settle a lawsuit between him and his previous partner. When his previous partner found out that he wanted to do a deal with me, he filed a lawsuit. So the attorneys went back and forth. And, and so I came in the middle of them and I settled the lawsuit, right? So here I am, you know, one guy's an accountant, you know, the other guy's this like lifeguard leading the lifeguard association. And then I have this other guy who's a small hotel owner, right? Owner operator. And they're all in this battle. 
So I get in the middle of all of it and I'm literally sitting down with this guy over here. I go sit down with this guy over here and I'm negotiating. You know, he feels like he should have made this money. He feels like he put this money in. So I finally get him settled. And uh, I don't know, it was $125,000 they decided to settle on. And I offered to, you know, cover that out of my share of the project because, you know, he just walked in the door and handed this thing to me, right? So I said, look, I'll cover that out of my portion, then we'll split the rest or, or we'll put that into the project cost, right? So anyways, I start moving along to do this deal and uh, I'm talking to a friend of mine about it. My friend says, you know, Greg, there's something kind of weird in the market right now. This is 2008. He said, you know, why don't y'all just go ahead and just sell the oceanfront lots then you'll be free and clear in the land across the street and then develop that into some townhouses or condos or something. I said, you know, that's a great idea. And uh, so I go to my partner. I said, look, let's scratch the idea of building houses and borrowing all that money and taking risks. The market's kind of funny right now. Why don't we just sell these lots? It'll zero out our basis. We'll make a little bit of money and then we'll be free and clear over here and we'll build these condos. So he agrees. So we go ahead and we do that. A friend of mine had found a buyer who came down, bought the whole thing from us cash in like 30 days. So we're you know, three or four months into this whole thing. I have no money out of pocket at this point. Uh, all I've done is create the opportunity everywhere, settled the lawsuit, you know, did all that. I've arranged for the demolition of the hotel, which was, you know, $45,000 thing. And I managed that process. So we get it all tore down, get it done, uh, get that certified, sell the lots to this buyer. It generates probably about a $300,000 profit to me after, after the debt's cleared and he made his share, I made my share. We're free and clear on the land across the street and everybody's happy. And then all of a sudden I get a call from my partner's attorney and he said, you know, your partner's not happy with this. He thinks you made too much money. You might want to give him a call. So I guess what happened was after this deal went down, he went to his buddies and he told his buddies what has happened. And his buddies are like, what are you thinking? You could have paid a real estate agent to do this and done all that. Why are you, why are you guys partners? Why are you paying him $300,000 and all that? So he gets all upset and he says, you've made enough money. I'm not doing the deal across the street with you. And I said, well, you can't do that. We have an agreement. We have a contract. I said, you know, I'm going to have to sue you. And he said, go ahead. So I said, okay. So I filed a suit and, and I said, look, I said, at this point, you know, I did make a good chunk of money. I said, just pay me back the demolition cost that you owe that, that we were supposed to split and I'll walk away. He said, no, I'm not doing it. You made enough money. I said, okay. So we went to court and he ended up having to pay me another $150,000. So I made, you know, you know, 450, 500,000. I can't remember. I'd have to pull the HUD sheet up basically in a six month period with zero money out of my pocket, just by creating opportunity and bringing the right people to the table at the right time and listening to a friend out of the blue. So again, this guy walks in my office, I haven't seen him in years and hands this deal over. And then I'm talking to a friend of mine and he says, you know, you might want to rethink this. So had I not done that, I would have went ahead and built the houses. And the guy that we built the houses for couldn't sell it because the market tank 2009 happened and he ended up paying, you know, way too much for the property after the market changed. I mean, he paid market value at the time. And, you know, thank goodness he was a very wealthy individual. So he could, he could weather the storm. And he was a very successful developer and is up in the Virginia market. So he was able to take the hit. But, I mean, talk about timing and just, you know, divine intervention and God watching out for you. I mean, it was just amazing how all that came together, coming right off of getting my butt kicked, investing in some restaurants. Amazing story. So basically your partner just had a change of heart because nobody else gave him, you know, brought this opportunity to him. Potentially, yeah, he could have gone with a realtor, broker, but nobody did. And that's the thing. It's it's kind of um he 
it's amazing that he, you know, you met a few years before you actually got into business and he said, no, I'm going to continue my way. And then he came back to you. And after that, he was making money with you. He just thought you were, you were making too much money, even though without you, he would probably not make any money. Oh, he'd have still, still been tied up in his lawsuit because yeah. they were just going back and forth, back and forth, and lawyers are making money and nobody's getting anywhere. And, and he, you know, he just would have been stuck and he would have gotten caught when the market shifted and wouldn't have been able to make as much money as we made. Now, we didn't know that beforehand. We didn't know it till after the fact. And, you know, just one of those cases where he was paranoid and, you know, there was a cultural difference between us and, and you know, he just went and listened to his friends and his friends said, hey, this American is cheating you and, you know, he shouldn't have been making that much money. And he wasn't able to explain the context of what you just summarized was that I settled a lawsuit. I found the buyer. I tore the hotel down, demoed the property. You know, I created all of the opportunity for everything to happen. Not only that, now it wasn't my idea all the way, you know, a friend of mine stepped in and, you know, said, Hey, do it this way. But I still made it happen. And he just had seller's remorse. He just looked at it at the end of the mm -hmm. day. He's looking at the HUD sheet going, why did I just give away that much money when I could have just tore the hotel down, listed the properties with a realtor and sold them? Maybe, you know, after I settled my lawsuit, maybe. So yeah, you know, and I never was able to convince him. Although the day that we settled, we're in the courthouse now. So this guy too, so there's a little history. My first hotel that I ever did that I tore down, he owned it. So I bought my first hotel from him and uh, tore it down, built some oceanfront houses. So that's kind of how he knew about me. We didn't really interact much uh, in that, that transaction. The, the attorneys kind of handled it all. So I never even met him then or talked to him, but he knew who I was. And I was one of the largest builders in the area. So he, he knew my reputation, which was good. So after this all happens, you know, we're in the courthouse and the judge, the lawyers are kind of like presenting their case for this thing to go to trial. And the judge is like, go settle this outside. This is silly. This, we're not going to court. So we go outside. And I think at that point, he finally realized the value of what I'd done for him. And the fact that I was still willing to let him off the hook to a degree. I said, look, just pay me back the money that I have in the demo and we'll, and we'll call it even. And he ended up having to pay a little bit more than that because of the equity in the property across the street, but it was still less than what I could have taken him for. So I still let him off the hook at the end. Why did you do that, Greg? You know, I like a win-win for everybody. I want everybody to feel like, you know, that everybody succeeded, that the project succeeded. And I didn't want him to feel like he was cheated. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just money. I mean, it's just money. We can always make more. There's always another deal. I don't have to squeeze every nickel out of every deal. And I wanted him to feel like, feel like he got a fair shake. So I think at the end of the day after that, he felt like it was a fair outcome. The judge spoke. The attorneys were like, you know, it's kind of hands down. Mm -hmm. You know, he was wrong. So I just wanted to be made whole in terms of what I had done. And I wanted him to acknowledge that I created value for him and that, you know, without me, he wouldn't have been able to do what he did. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very clear when you describe it this way. Obviously, emotions, when they get in the way, then sometimes you don't see things clearly. So, Greg, did this story, did it change the way that you interact with partners? You know, moving forward, did you change anything in your behavior or your contract with them? No, I mean, that was the good news is that, you know, I've always, so this was my second lawsuit, which is, you know, specific performance where I had the contract on a property and somebody tried to change the deal. Uh, the one before that was a group that I'd bought an oceanfront hotel from and the market was escalating. This was 0405 and I don't know, I was buying it for $4 million or something. It was worth six and the market was going up and they were getting offers from other developers the week that I was supposed to close. So they tried to cancel my contract and sell it to somebody else for more money. So I had to sue them. So 
I've always had ironclad contracts. I've always put everything in writing. I have attorneys review them now. An attorney's opinion is only that. You know, everybody says, oh, my attorney says this and whatever. It's just their legal opinion, right? Which is based on their experience and their knowledge and their skills. That's all it is. What I learned was until you get in front of a judge and a jury, you don't know where that's going to go. So you can't go off what an attorney, you know, what their opinion is. You got to kind of read into it and understand how law and how that kind of thing works. And when you go to trial on something, you know, there's a, there's a judge that can sway a jury in terms of the way he explains the law and the instructions. And then there's the jury. So you just never know how things are going to go. So, uh, but anyways, I do have attorneys review contracts and draft contracts and things like that. So they were ironclad. Everything was in writing. I keep every email. I mean, I've got emails going all the way back to the nineties, right? In my, wow. in, yeah. I mean, I'm very thorough, very diligent. That's how I'm able to do a lot of things because I'm very organized and detailed. I mean, I'm not OCD or anything, but I just keep my email files organized. I keep them by the project and I keep all my emails in there. So if there's ever a problem, it's in writing. So if you and I are emailing about a project, I always keep the last correspondence we have. So I've got that whole chain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's helped me twice now in, in specific performance lawsuits where my emails basically solidified the case. I mean, there's just nothing you can do if you tell the truth, if you're honest, and if you cross your I's and, and, and dot your T's, as they say, and in your contracts, there's really not much anybody can do. They can put up a bunch of smoke and mirrors, but at the yeah. end of the day, you know, if you've got it in writing and it's clear and I've done what I'm supposed to do, you know, there's just, just nothing that they can do about it. So that's what's helped me. I'm honest. I'm straightforward. I do what I say I'm going to do. And I put it all in writing, no matter who the partner is, whether it's family or anybody else, I always put it in writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And as a former real estate lawyer, I can tell you it's exactly right. We can uh, write whatever we want, but by the end of the day, when you go to court, this is, that's what matters. And if you're trying to be unfair, the judge will, you know, they see it, they've seen everything. And it sounds like you have, you know, you are, you know, pretty fair and you, and I like your approach saying, you know, by the end of the day, it's only money. I just don't want to be out of pocket. I want to get what you know, what's fair. And I actually think that most people would have asked for more than just, you know, to become whole, but this is your unique perspective and this is how you conduct business. And that's what makes you, you. So I didn't even ask for attorney's fees. You know, I mean, I paid my attorney, you know, I mean, I could have asked for attorney's fees and I, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last question that I have about this specific story is why did you choose telling this story today? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I've had an interesting career and there's so many different things, but you know, you, the way you frame the interview and, you know, asked for a story, it's just interesting. And I think, you know, there's a lot in there for people to learn. Number one, be thorough, document, don't go on a handshake. Don't take anybody at their word, put it in writing. You know, that that's mm -hmm. in a business, whether it's a company, whether it's a real estate transaction, whatever it is, if you get it clear in writing and you get it. So what an attorney is going to do is they're going to look at it from what can go wrong. How yep. is this going to blow up? Yep. Right. So that's what you want. You want that agreement in writing, looking at, you know, the absolute worst case in mm -hmm. terms of how is it going to blow up? But also, you know, what are the other things that can happen? You know, what if I pass away? What if you pass away? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, right? So all those are, are covered in those agreements and documents. So that's one thing. The other thing, it was, you know, it, it was a stressful situation. Now, thank goodness, I'd been through the one case before this. So I was a little bit more uh, used to the process. And it was the same attorney that I used in the first one. And they had the same attorney that the other party used in my first one. So, you know, we beat him <laughs> twice and he, he doesn't like me to this day because he lost two cases. 
but he wanted to come back and get me. But anyways, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's probably one of the trickier. Well, I'll tell you why. Because it was a miracle, right? So this was a gift from God right in my lap. You know, I walked in the door that day, sat in my office. This guy had no clue where I was, hadn't hadn't even thought about him in years. And he walks through my door and says, I'm ready to do the deal. And I mean, it was just out of nowhere. And it was at a time when I'd just come off one of the biggest losses I'd ever taken in a business in my career. Stupid, you know, investment in a restaurant, right? You know how to make a million dollars in the restaurant business? Not invest in a restaurant? No, start with two. (laughs) (laughs) Works every time, right? Invest two million, you'll come out with a million every time. So so anyways, you know, it was it was just so cool that I said, all right, I'm gonna stick to what I know. I'm gonna stick to where I've made all my money, where I've had the most Mm -hmm. success. And I'd had a lot of success in my other little businesses, but this was different. And in the minute I did that and committed, it bam, it just came out of nowhere. And then as I was going along in the project and the economy around us is starting to just change and things are starting to happen. And my friend just, I'm over at, you know, the lumber yard, just kind of talking to him about the project. And he's like, man, just sell the lots, do this. And just casual, right? We're just chatting like you and I are. And I'm like, okay. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have done that. I would have built the houses and I would have taken all that risk. And, you know, after the market changed, it was a very difficult time, you know, down there because those were all second homes, investment homes, rental homes. And, you know, the money had started, they were all interest only LIBOR loans back in the time and, you know, interest rates were going up and, you know, I mean, those things, there's no telling what would have happened, you know, whether I'd even been able to keep them, whether they would have still been worse what I had in them now, which I don't think they would be because that market just now has come back to where it was before Mm -hmm. the crash, you know? So, I mean, just so many miraculous things happen just out of nowhere. So I guess it's an encouragement for anybody who's watching or listening that may be in the middle of a difficult situation or a deal or whatever, just don't give up. Just keep doing what you do, stick with what you know, and good things happen. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing the story, Greg. And so before we conclude the interview, um, this is the question that I ask all my guests. If you could look back and give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be? So uh, it would be to start bigger right out of the gate. So, you know, find somebody who's doing what you want to do at the highest levels and go to work for them, even if you have to work for free and get involved, learn everything you can, but start big. If that's, if you want to be a real estate developer, real estate investor, go to the highest levels, do whatever you have to do to go to work for the best in the business, learn from them and start big. Mm -hmm. All right, great. And then uh, where can our listeners find you? So all my information is on gregdickerson.com and, uh, you know, my email, greg at gregdickerson.com, phone numbers on there. I answer emails and phone calls. You know, I've, I've got a lot of bandwidth. I outsource and, and leverage others. So I have a lot of time to be able to interact and talk to people. I love helping people, coaching, consulting. I still do equity deals. So if there's people that have companies that, uh, that look interesting and have the ability to scale, I get involved in those. I'm always looking for real estate deals and And, uh, you know, I've got some some really good projects going on right now as well. So gregdickerson.com. All right, Greg, thank you so much for spending uh, the afternoon with me today uh, and and telling your story. That that was an amazing story. And I'm glad that you you learned a lot from it, but you also came in the right approach and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. I enjoyed it.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.